0: Hey, Riley here, and because I'm saying my name and that I'm here, I'm sure you can guess that I'm about to tell you a little bit of context for the audio file that's about to follow this little introduction. Uh, This is part two of our two-part crossover series uh, with our friends at the Antifada, uh, Sean, Andy, and Jamie, and uh, we figured we'd publish it uh, on our RSS feed as well as theirs, so just as you could find part one. Uh, of, our, of our antifada tf crossover on both rss feeds so too can you find part two this episode was released i think last week uh, by them so i do encourage you to uh, check this out if you like this show uh, go subscribe to the antifada as well they're a great bunch of people and also know that this uh, file it's not in lieu of anything all re- all releases will stay normal uh for the previous week and the coming week this is just a little bit of extra bonus bonus content for you um so go check out the antifada um enjoy this little bit of uh history in the meantime about how the revolutionary communist party of great britain became spiked somehow check it
1: out later
2: no mm-hmm. yeah he
1: he he was in uh he was in a band with i think his sister no, called I, the dow yeah Oh my the god. Dow. And anyway, now that he <laughs> can't he? like be totally on board with Bernie anymore, uh the Dow's gonna reform.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't they have a pitchfork review that was pretty good? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: They got, like, no, it, it's
1: not bad music is the weird thing.
5: That guy is full of surprises. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah, I have no idea what he's going to be like in six months' time.
4: There's a hidden arc of, like, political operators being, like, silently proficient at, like, musical styles that uh, we could pick up on. But I think Peter Dow's life story might be one of the most fascinating ones. Like, starting as a child soldier in Lebanon Mm. and then progressing to, like, uh, what was he in a new wave band? And, and (laughs) And then he became a child soldier for Hillary. (laughs)
3: Right. <laughs> I mean, but we don't have to speculate we can just get him on the show yeah oh that's true mm, He would totally come on <laughs> let's
5: yeah, do that that's true.
3: yeah let's um, do it
5: people are already saying we need more guests of color <laughs> <laughs> um
4: well. in uh syncopation i think it's time for us to start to like uh, a left <laughs> i was gonna say start like a left um op group. Oh, yeah, okay. I was gonna go with like
1: 50s street Day. gang. We can all like pull switchblades simultaneously.
0: Yes. No, come on. We can what? we can become the Dapper dance and start going around Disneyland, and then the movie Bob will have to become a leftist.
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, didn't you hear Maggie made fish, Andy? Uh, singing Deo is musical blackface. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god beetlejuice problematic mm-hmm. B- mm. biden biden um biden all but securing the democratic nomination has really empowered just some of the most tiresome people in your country oh.
4: welcome to our fucking reality
2: mm. <laughs> oh my god. yeah the
4: pundit timeline uh. <laughs> you guys are just three or four months ahead of us in like the disaster of uh world politics well, listen, uh, we were talking about um, the really cringe and shitty takes on the uh, mop-haired psychopath uh, named Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of England. You know, another publication... That's or I right, say, just England. Only England. <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm looking at the webpage of an uh, uh, organization called Spiked Online. Ooh, boy, I've been waiting for they this for a while. A, They have a headline, a PM in hospital, a nation rattled.
5: Oh my God.
4: Of course, uh, Spiked Online is part of this chorus of voices, very concerned about the health of uh, the prime minister. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a good time to introduce our episode and our topic because we are going to be talking about Spiked Online, a very, very bizarre phenomenon, as you're going to see uh, one with a lot of twists and a lot of plot turns. And uh, an all-around interesting case study in uh, what not to do if you have a Trotskyist uh, revolutionary party in the 1970s. Well, I mean,
0: I don't know. I kind of, what, I kind of another he, one? Yeah, I was going to say, I think he kind of answered the question with the premise there. What not to do <laughs> if you have a Trotskyist split group in the
3: 70s? <laughs> don't have that. Don't do it. They did the one thing you shouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> Stalinists hate this one weird trick. <laughs>
4: On that note, hello and welcome to the Antifada. I'm Sean KB.
5: I'm Jamie Peck.
4: I'm AP Andy. And we are here, of course, with good friends of the pod. Back in a big way. Two guests from Trash Future Podcast, Riley Quinn and Alice Caldwell-Kelly. What's up, guys?
1: How's it going? Hey, hey. Yeah. Excited to talk about this extremely normal magazine.
0: <laughs> I think about Spiked all the time. And I think about the (laughs) history of Spiked all the time, because Spiked is, as you said, Sean, this morality tale of how you can start as an, well, we'll get to this, allegedly leftist group in the 1970s, and then end up through a bunch of twists and turns of history and imbecility uh wishing the like just fawning over a prime minister that promises to like cut taxes and like smash the remains of the trade union movement in the uk uh, because somehow he's a worker
4: Mm. right right I think that the, the topic of Spiked Online is going to resonate a bit more with uh, British listeners because in the United States, I think the only time people have really heard of them was six months ago when uh, a couple of leftists from the dirtbag tendency here did an interview mm-hmm. with Spiked Online about uh, the dangers of wokeness and, and Yes, But besides that, I don't think that if Spiked... You that channel. Yeah. With, with the cops reruns. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, again,
0: I mean, the, channel, again just endless... the channel wouldn't be oh, too
4: different
3: from the, from the blog, I don't think.
5: <laughs> you know what? The channel, over cops. the channel doesn't get up on its political high horse, at least.
3: It's, it's supposed to be a channel for men, right? It's, it's supposed to be like 30 something, you know, guys doing construction and gross stunts channels. <laughs> guys being
5: dudes. Dudes rock. I don't know if it still exists. Dudes rock the channel.
4: Yeah. Thesis uh, Spiked Online is the jackass of online media. No, they're not that funny.
5: Yeah, Jackass is way funnier.
4: Jackass was so joyful.
1: Hmm. are you guys are you (laughs) saying spike does is just sort of tinged in miserableism? yeah that's true i remember this one article they did with uh with johnny knoxville and i think it was like steve-o or something but like uh the two of the jackass guys and they said uh, people say that the the jackass is is kind of is kind of gay and they're like yeah absolutely yeah it is we're (laughs) gay with each other all the time
2: it's like yeah
1: that's that's a better use of both irony and sincerity than spiked
4: or uh, anyone who talks to them has ever managed well i'm glad that my my joke as well yeah. i'm glad that my joke thesis like self-important thesis about uh spiked being jackass uh, got you guys to all come on the podcast and defend the oeuvre of the jackass yeah. world well oh, that's I will right always yeah.
0: defend the oeuvre of the jackass world it is in my yeah. opinion funnier than any sort of serious like uh, prestigious university comedian yeah, me, me has and, ever been
1: ever yeah well according me and riley we're like the clever. japanese island holdouts right we're still fighting <laughs> the battles for jackass 30 years later
5: according to amanda marcotte um i'm only pretending oh, to God. think it's funny so that guys will like me much in the same way yeah. i pretend to like bernie sanders so there you go yeah.
0: i mean mm. of course no yeah it's like who else could find the high five skit where they just hold a gigantic like foam hand and then whack people who come through a door with it not funny people
1: yeah with I no mean that, that that is that is misogyny that uh, yeah. Yeah, that is structural misogyny and we can't we can't support hitting people with a giant foam hand yeah. <laughs> especially when they're carrying soup as, as I, be- I believe Aaron was <laughs> Why why do you have uh, an encyclopedic
4: memory of jackass bits? (laughs) This is my cross to bear. (laughs) In uh, anticipation of this episode, Jamie was asking me, what should I do to prepare? I don't really know much about Spiked. I said, think of any topic that you even care remotely about. And search the archives of Spiked online and you will find probably the worst fucking take possible. I
5: thought you were going to say you will find zero results because what they write about is all culture war bullshit. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's, it's
1: that's true. The but thing. they they write about culture war bullshit in a way that like is so aggressively contrarian that you it like I feel like the idea is that you're not even able to be like I don't care about this. It's just spiked, at it again. Well, you have to like stop and look and be like, oh, that they, they they just said that uh, being trans is actually a form of racism. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, also Jamie, that's mostly right but not entirely right.
0: For example, do you know the title of the article they wrote in summer 2007 as the financial crisis was just kicking off?
5: Oh boy, give it to me. me.
0: Let's bash
4: the rich bashers for a change. Oh, wow. Love some Marxism. Love it. Marxism. Immortal, immortal critique.
5: Marxism is when you bash the rich bashers. The more you do that, the more Marxist it is. Duh.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, look, the thing is, like, they're wrong about everything. It's just they're always wrong in reaction to what the liberal media is doing. So if what the liberal media is doing is, like, 2% materialist and 98% culture war horse shit... It's going to be 98% culture war horseshit and spiked, but they're 2% of materialism. That's where the absolute chef kiss shit is, where they find a way to claim to be Marxist, but then say that if you punish the bankers for causing the financial crisis, then what you're doing is you're um,
4: attacking a working class desire to succeed. (laughs) Um. Yes, yes. Thank you for that, Riley, because I think some folks out there might be a little... I don't know. Confused about why we keep tying Marxism to this cultural, culturally reactionary group. Um, so let's get into the history of where Spiked Online came from and what their connection, alleged connection to Marxism is. Who wants to give a, uh, make a start at it? Um, I, I could. I mean, I could. Uh, I could do it. Yeah, we've, I, we've got to start in yeah. Britain in the seventies, the most yeah.
1: dismal place on earth in human <laughs> history. All right, um, so l-
4: let's start in Britain in the seventies, and the most ah, dismal place and time in history. You see, I was saying I was going to Tarantino it.
0: I was going to start with what happened in the nineties, and then be like, "How did we get here?"
1: Ah, uh, you were yeah. g- you were going to do like a fractured narrative, where I was just going to do like a straight chronological one.
2: Yeah. Okay. What well, are we, let's be we, we starting. Thing uh, Antifada, what which about, do you
3: guys want? Uh, well, I was thinking about starting with. Uh, Tr- the formation of the Fourth International in England in, in the 1940s <laughs> with the club. Shall we, how shall we start with the first enclosure the movement
4: in England <laughs> in the <laughs> uh,
3: 1600s? <laughs> but as i started typing it out i was like i'm going to
4: spare everybody this <laughs> nobody <laughs> wants this you know it's it's really good that we have you know andy's of course a Posadas scholar we have a scholar of trotskyist insanity on the podcast who can really kind of you know give us give us some context for all of this shit it comes this
5: in one handy of least- <laughs> <gets it. laughs> I, okay what are oh, the questions most <laughs> normal
1: least yeah it's like, it's the uh, least insane, but also most wrong Trotskyist movement. Like, Posadists are more correct than this, even oh, as definitely. they're more insane. Absolutely. But well, One question I'd like to uh,
0: answer, or oh, uh, have you guys actually all answer for me by the time we're done this, is can we connect this to a general theory of why Trotskyists are so weird?
2: Oh yeah, mm. I'm awesome.
3: already there.
0: Okay, so uh, do I have everyone's permission to do the Tarantino and start in media res? Do it. All right. So, uh, the a magazine entitled "Living Marxism" in the late 1990s publishes a an article that contains the following sentence: There was no barbed wire fence surrounding the Ternopil. I'm sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly. Camp. It was not a prison, and certainly not a concentration camp, but a cent- collection center for refugees. The barbed wire in the picture is not around the Bosnian Muslims. It is around the cameraman and the journalists. The British news team from ITN filmed from inside this compound shooting pictures of the refugees in the camp through the compound fence. This sentence is the precipitating event that led to the formation of
4: Spiked as we know it today. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Rem- remember the Balkan Wars. <laughs> um, Too many people forget.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well... That's kind of true, actually, because if if we all remember, and I hope we feel a certain amount of associated appropriate shame with this, there were plenty of people on the left who actually did live down to the, like, right-wing critiques that, oh, you're just reflexively anti-American or whatever, um, because they saw the thoroughly genocidal Serbian uh, regime of Slobodan Milosevic doing some genocide in Bosnia and thought, oh, well, this has to be fake because America is on the other side of it. So, I'm most notably, uh, Noam Chomsky was the biggest, yeah.
4: the biggest figure to associate himself with this. Um, he, he flubbed that and Cambodia, but mm-hmm. you know it happens. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You, you, you can't win them all. But in right. this case, one of the big, the big losers, the big losers. <laughs> very unfair. Uh, <laughs> one, it one, of,
0: one of the like, Carter somehow. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah Gray- Grayden Carter's uh, Carter's Ask- Oscar after party in Belgrade
4: no longer hot. Um, if you think the Balkan wars were bad, you should have seen a Vanity Fair dinner party back in 1987.
0: <laughs> um,
1: yes, yeah, Alice, carry on. I interrupted you with hmm. some nonsense. No, no, the nonsense is fine. Like this, this helps break up what is quite a bleak story, right? In that, uh, like. Uh, Plenty of these people uh, later realized, oh, wait, actually uh, even even the neoliberals, even the fucking, things were so bad in Bosnia that they made the US Department of Defense the good guys by default, and that's the worst possible endorsement, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: And so, like, but in the meantime there were plenty of, like, leftists and various, like, uh, good graces who decided that the genocide that was happening in Bosnia was fake. Um, There was American interventionism, which is true, uh, that America had ulterior motives, which is true, and therefore, none of this bad stuff was actually happening, and I want to give Slobodan Milosevic a great big wet kiss on the lips. And this magazine, Living Marxism, the start of which we'll get back to later, published a great deal of this, and this was the really central part, was where they claimed that um, a British news crew had been faking... Uh, a a photo and some footage that it published of one of these uh, of one of these camps Uh, and they got sued and they got thoroughly owned Mm. uh, by just like an overwhelming waste of evidence but they took it to court and ICN, this news channel uh, won, I think, a pretty vast amount of money off of them uh, for defamation and that was the inciting incident that leads us to Spiked Online
0: because living Marxism and its uh, editors were completely liable for all the all these damages. The editors personally liable, and then the uh, the group that owned Living Marxes in this magazine were liable. It shut down, and then, uh-huh. what do you know? They formed a new company. And all of our old favorite friends who we're going to meet over the course of the next 40 or so minutes <laughs> were like, hey, let's get the band back together two days after we were forcibly broken up for lying about a genocide. Um,
4: and, and, and it really threw everybody. Nobody, nobody realized what happened when they changed living Marxism into LM. Yeah. So, right? Like
5: what? KFC, you know, it doesn't stand exactly. for chicken anymore.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: but what um, one of the one of the key events here that's very interesting was, and r- put this in the back of your mind, they managed to spin the story um, such that they turned themselves into a David against a Goliath, and so there was a lot of goodwill, bizarrely, because Britain's a stupid place, uh, towards <laughs> the formerly living Marxism now spiked crew in the late 1990s, and so they were able to form dozens of front organizations and all get into positions of authority in uh, uh, sort of respectable british media and society so the alumni yeah. well, i mean I, th-
1: day... I think the thing is right like we have to talk about who their enemies were because that's a large part of this yeah um well, fact, i, I, I mean, don't fact, want to come across uh, too too interventionist or too neoliberal here the people who sued them into oblivion were doing so on the basis of facts uh that living marxism had misrepresented and lied about but they were also just massive clinton uh america world police guys they were the most repulsive people imaginable and so of course people were going to be contemptuous of that even then and so that that bought them that goodwill Uh, so now that we know what this big inciting
0: incident was shall we travel back to the 70s
4: Mm. We get a drop Everything of is brown. Awesome a- a- <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was the sound of uh, of England in the nineteen seventies. I think no. it was more a uh, sustained moan. Yeah, it's it's the sound
1: of like sticking your entire face over like a big smokestack and just taking a big breath in.
2: <laughs>
4: and that's your only job, and pretty soon that smokestack's gonna be shut down and you're just gonna be left devastated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sean, that's carbon capture technology. <laughs> See, spiked would argue that that you know coal's good actually, and all we need is a bunch of working class people to get jobs, sucking the smoke out of stacks. Mm. That's oh, progress! Oh, baby.
0: you just you're telling the working class people they can't even suck the smoke out of the smokestacks <laughs> because you're just a liberal elite who doesn't want them to make a living. Spiked is the result of, I think, four or five living Marxism. Rather, it was the magazine of the Red Revolutionary Communist Party of Great Britain.
4: This is a Trotskyist <laughs> group. Not to be confused, by the way, I, I should say for, again, American listeners out there, not to be confused with Bob Avakian's Revolutionary Communist Party, who are Maoists. Completely different group. Also no. not to be
3: confused with the Revolutionary Party. Yeah. Yeah. Th- These are Trotskyists. Who they split from, and also not to be confused with the Workers' Revolutionary Party. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> <yet>. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Sorry, look, go on.
1: <laughs> look, Br- Britain, Britain, the British left has always been like this, I'm afraid. We are, we are like inveterate splitters, and especially Trotskyists love. To like have a group that splits from a group that splits from a party that splits from a faction that splits from a tendency that splits from another party that was trying to do entryism into a larger party that's why Trotskyism
4: is so tasty it's got fifty seven flavors you know <laughs> um,
0: what I find very amusing about this is about uh, about this as well right is that um like th- this is we we are we are looking at splits from splits from splits from splits, but they're always along the lines. Of, it's always like one, in, like figurehead's down line, if you like. Mm. So it's all it's just it's just groups of friends breaking up and reforming, on the basis of who wants to get become a higher rank in that friend group, and maybe that gets mm. a little bit of white. Playing Trotsky Mountain is so Blade,
1: weird.
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: um, so basically, we let's um. We have to start, as ever, with uh, the Socialist Workers Party. I mean, look, we could go back all the way to Trotsky himself, but I think we should start with the Socialist Workers Party.
4: Andy salivated and at that idea.
0: <laughs> a pretty big Trot group, um, and they were something else. I think they were the International Socialist Group uh, before, or International Socialist Party, or something like this. Um, so
3: there's the Cliffite International tendency. That was hmm, that's memorable. That's the, that's the International. And then uh, the British faction became the SWP in 77.
1: You gotta really love acronyms to be in this game, is the thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a
4: paradox.
0: By my book.
4: (laughs) So the SWP. Yes, by Andy's book. Yeah,
1: so
0: basically, there there are several splits over a disagreement in one formula for calculating the precise decline of the rate of profit in
1: Capital Volume 3. (laughs) I'm not joking. Hell yeah. It is absolutely some name of the rose shit.
0: And so that resulted in a massive splintering of of the UK Trotskyist movement, as it always would, because Trotskyists are weird. Um, (laughs) And uh, then we get several splits later. We have a group that coalesces around this this guy, Frank Ferretti,
4: who... um, are the protagonist, indeed. the protagonist of our uh, episode today. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Now he was a Hungarian dissident. Hmm?
0: What? And uh, his politics were largely considered unserious, but he was a scholar of uh, the Soviet political economy, um, and he was a professor at the University of Kent. Um, and, and what happened was, he had this tendency. And people coalesced around it. It was called the Revolutionary Communist Party, which split from the Revolutionary Communist Tendency, so Alice wasn't joking. Um, yeah. And uh, most of this information, by the way, comes from uh, Jenny Turner's fantastic article in the London Review of Books called Who yes. Are They? about the Institute of Ideas, which is one of the many front groups that the They love front, yeah. Well, yeah. love
1: front groups. Yeah. love front groups. We'll, well, we'll get is, into this later as to yeah. why
4: this might be, but... This, uh, this is the red thread that runs through this entire thing, is like, how can you use Trotskyist methods to have the worst politics?
2: <laughs> Again,
4: your answers in the question. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, essentially, what
0: we have is we have this guy whose politics were kind of, you know, a little bit all over the place, who... Eventually gathers this group of sort of four to five hundred people at its height around him to be the Revolutionary Communist Party,
4: and um, second only to uh, the SWP in membership. Indeed, I understand indeed. it wasn't a huge group, but it was you know relatively weighty on the on the British left and at the time. It was big.
0: <laughs> it was well funded, and it also had like extremely modish and stylish and
1: cool members. Yeah, Um, it was fashionable, which is insane to think about a Trotskyist party of 500 people being fashionable now. But yeah, it it was the cool place to be,
4: was to be at the Revolutionary Communist Party. Flat caps are out, beetle boots are in. And so, yeah, Yeah.
0: I mean, personally, uh, why a trotskyist group uh is still maintaining a well-funded and slick publication with a large membership base in the 1970s and more importantly 80s Mm. question mark question mark question mark
1: add add that to add that to the column of question marks under (laughs) why do they keep forming front (laughs) groups that are very difficult to keep track of (laughs) Mm. Um. But yeah, but like, to bear in mind, right, the the alternative to this, if you were on the left and you weren't in labor and you wanted to go further left than that, your alternative to that was like, The Communist Party of Great Britain, which was four guys who were all getting a pension from Moscow in a room full of pipe smoke, talking about how the Czechoslovakians really had it coming.
4: (laughs) Hey, look, that's great work if you can get
1: it. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I'm I'm all for universal basic income for loyal Stalinists, but it wasn't cool, was the thing.
3: (laughs) Yeah, definitely not cool. But a big part of why it was cool in the 80s to be a part of SWP or 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 the uh, RCP. Was that they had these big concerts because they uh, they both had uh, anti-racist front groups. Rock yeah, Against was it Racism, Rock Against and, Racism? Yes, and uh, the RCP had their own version called uh, Workers Against Racism War, and they ha- they threw these. I think they're probably just, like, the biggest fests in the country with, like, ska bands and punk bands and rock bands, Uh, Clash uh, and stuff like that.
0: Imagine a time when being in a
3: Trotskyist group and going to a ska band was the height of cool. (laughs) 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 And so while we're on the subject, the SWP had a ska band called the Redskins, sort of skinheads playing, like, reggae ska. very clever, yeah. And uh, the RCP had their own version called uh, Easter House – Named after a housing project in. I forgot the, the name of the in, town. Glasgow. Yeah, in Glasgow. Yeah. In Glasgow. Okay. Oh, in
4: your hometown. And they yeah, looked right.
3: like a more preppy, kind of like more put together version of Joy Division. <laughs> and they played sort of a, a modish new wave.
0: And so, like, you have to understand that these were, these were like, in the left, everyone was very, like you said, well dressed and good looking and cool and edgy, and also weirdly aggressive. And so this is a quote hmm. that I pulled from the Jenny Turner article. No evidence has ever turned up in support of the hypothesis popular among 1980s lefties. Can't guess why, that the RCP were agents provocateurs. But it's easy to see how hmm. the rumors took hold. There was something strange about them their near-mechanical discipline and efficiency, the sheaves of expensive-looking leaflets in magazines, and their arrogance and aggressiveness. Someone I spoke to remembers selling Socialist Worker in London on Saturday mornings as a 15-year-old with women RCPers edging up to him, making remarks about his fancy ability and the crapness of his organization. RCP members, he says, seem to have been briefed to systematically wind up any other left groups in any way possible at all times. Huh. Question mark? Question mark? Question mark?
3: <laughs> See, that's just normal Trotskyist shit, though. Like, there's, nothing, there's nothing suspicious about that to me in the slightest. See, mm. I,
4: I was, I, I wasn't sure about the agent's provocateur thing, but then I was reading up, and whereas Redskins just had like a normal 45, it turns out that Easter House came out on uh, pink translucent vinyl, and where does the money come for that kind of seven inch? I, I, Jesus, I that's
1: a good point. Like that's that seems like something that should be like an aesthetic. thing. Thing, but that's that's serious money. <laughs> that's real money in that. <laughs> yeah. So
0: like they were getting funded from somewhere, and mm-hmm. I mean, and it wasn't it... fucking
1: Frank Ferretti.
0: Yeah, it wasn't him. Like, like it wasn't
1: lecture It wasn't lecturers' wages from the University of Kent that buys yeah. that.
0: No, I mean. I mean, look, if I was to, let's say, this is a separate conversation, by the way. Let's say if I was MI5 or 6 or, you know, the CIA or whatever, and uh. I wanted, and I was a little bit worried about the growth of the left in Britain in 1970s and 80s and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, how, if I was to fund a, 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 a socialist group, how would they act and what would they do? Hmm. Interesting thought experiment
1: there. Anyway, yeah,
0: and, anyway, and I mean, enough about that. Hmm. Let's go back by, to by what we're s- talking
1: about.
2: <laughs> we, we, just, we can
1: also just, like do a do a little thought experiment here and be like, if if you were uh, a like strangely well funded Trotskyist group in Britain in the nineteen seventies and eighties, who could be funding you? Uh, right. It's not. It's not going to be billionaires, right? Because the, why? It's not going to be the the people who are funding. Already the CPGB and their pipe smoking. It's not going to be the Soviets because they don't want to give money to Trotskyists, and also they have guys.
4: And it's certainly ev- not going to be the uh, trade unions. I mean, they're all in the militant tendency. Which exactly, they're to, you know, all separate. still
1: trying to be in the Labour Party, right? Uh, which is which has its own like Trotskyist spin and like entryism and so on and so on. But that's completely different. This is who who else is left that could be funding this? And there's not mm. a lot of answers.
4: One clue, of course, is the fact that as time comes out, I'm sorry, as time goes on, we figure out that uh, the CIA, uh, in particular, had its hands in many, many, many surprising cultural and political institutions across the world. Just saying.
5: Mm -hmm. Rock and roll was a capitalist op, according to the show, Ian Fanonius.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I, I just, I just, I want to see, I want to get into the like files that are still classified, and I want to read like a typewritten thing from one shirt and time Mormon CIA guy to another explaining what a scar band is and why they need pink vinyl. <laughs> is this like abstract expressionism? Yes,
0: absolutely. In
1: 60 years, yeah. people will find this transcendent.
0: I mean, it's just like playing different kinds of horns.
1: Folks, cool. listen, I love to work for the CIA and move between the department that, like, smears nerve gases on Black (laughs) churches door handles and the department that, like, funds vinyl. It's like, come (laughs) with me.
4: And I, I I will argue on this podcast that if a fourth wave of Ska ever arises let's be careful it's probably an op <laughs> we should, we should
1: have known because all scar artists embraced the like mm-hmm. black and white tartan thing that cops here use it was, oh. it was right before our eyes real
5: big fish was an inside job <laughs> <laughs> actually wait isn't one of the guys from real big fish like a fan of ours
3: Yep.
2: Oh, yeah, we should, we should be
5: careful. To, uh, yeah. We say to him. don't know his name.
4: Yeah. <laughs> mm. <But> okay. <laughs> Apologies so. to all ska fans out there. These are jokes, parody yes. redacted.
0: Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure. But look, all, all the I'm. I mean, there is no hard evidence to say. That, that... Scott is an <laughs> No, there's hard evidence for that. There's no hard evidence yeah. to say that the Revolutionary Communist Party and all of these people were either knowingly or unknowingly working for the security services of the
4: U.S. or the U.K., um... And that's all. It would be is. libelous of us to even say that, yes. so we, we won't that's say. That's true. It. There's no and evidence y- you,
1: you don't want to like lose the libel suit, and then two days later come back <laughs> as the antifadent.
4: Oh, boy. <laughs> just be
1: the AF or something like
4: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <clears throat> Actually, look. I mean, I,
0: I, also like you know, it's um, even if some other organization was to have been an op, I mean, I, I it, they wouldn't have been an op the whole time, and again, they probably might not even have known. Um, Right, so uh, let's let's go back though, because one of the things we're talking about isn't just this party and its sort of seeming absence of politics, because like they were anti they they for example, this was one of the only leftist groups in the UK to be uh, against the miners' strike uh, Mm. in in the late seventies, very very spicy position. Yeah, Um, Mm -hmm. and also it's one of the only one of the sort of leftist groups that was uh, always. Uh, extremely uh, anti... A- any any kind of environmental protection at all. A- at all. Mm. Uh, and they were always very, very... F- but basically what they said was, we are all about freedom. But because they're all positivists, their version of freedom is how you define it if you were sort of just born or, I don't know, just had like... Uh, uh, a massive head th- injury yeah, yeah you just if you you'd gotten up too quickly after lying down and then were asked to define
4: freedom <laughs> really fast <laughs> yeah so um basically well this is oh, go ahead, go ahead. let me jump in real quick because i think we're about to touch on a, another theme that's going to run through this which is how much of this is like truly held beliefs that these people worked out through a you know pretty dedicated study of Marx and Marxism, and how hmm. much of it is just pure mercenary opportunism and uh, careerism. Well, I and think power grabbing kind of psychopathy.
1: It's it, it's some of that, and I think there's also some trolling. Like to, to quote the current big wet president, we do a little trolling, uh, and like <laughs> I, I I think some of this is I think there's some of this explains still spiked like reflexive contrarianism is that. There is some of the stuff that... Whatever else was going on, I think it was quite fun for a lot of people involved to be like, "Ah oh, no, actually I'm the only pure leftist because you fucking idiots want mm-hmm. to like I don't know not do nuclear weapons or do a minor strike right
4: well-, well and 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 this is sorry this real quick this is tied into their kind of hipster aesthetic right because what's mm-hmm. more hipster than saying mm-hmm. like you know I'm correct on everything I have the right line I was doing this before you were doing it blah 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 go on Jamie sorry oh, I-
5: I was just going to say, you know, according to our Marxist friend, Camille Paglia, uh, climate change being (laughs) concerned about it is a bourgeois conspiracy theory. So there you go. Hmm.
3: Fair enough. I I think this is actually the roots of their political shift. From what I can tell, Uh, I found another article in in addition to the London Review piece in a a blog called Hatful of History or New Historical Express that has, I think, the best explanation of what happened to them politically in the 80s. And it seems to be around campus politics, Uh. Uh, uh, specifically no platforming uh, the British National Party and anti-abortion activists. Hmm. So initially they believed in this like militant, like get a uh, working class organizations to physically fight the BNP. But throughout the 80s, they came into conflict with the SWP doing the same thing, uh, also going after uh, anti-abortion activists. And started saying, this is the wrong approach, because racism and misogyny comes from the state. It doesn't come from these small groups of fascists. So we need to organize to confront the state. And what what do we do about these reactionaries? Well, we debate them. So they hmm. began to like really double down on this concept of we need to actually go give a platform for debate, because our ideas are so strong that they'll win. And so this is not like a crazy idea. You see a lot of leftists having this critique of Antifa and, and saying that we do need some kind of discourse at times. But I think there's an X factor here that I'm not finding in the uh, LRB piece or, in, or anything else I've read is that I think there's some like parapsychology stuff going on with Ferretti that you need to be like initiated into the group to understand mm. like what's what the ideology is at the bottom of it. Because his, his like, obsession with therapy and uh, child-rearing, usually that has, there tends to be this kind of alternative cultish view of, like, how to, of, of basically, I think they have their own concept of freedom mm. that comes from that place and not from Marx or not from any mm. kind of political That's strategy. I think, I think it's it's, it's making that me that think of, of,
1: it's making me think of a, a just a suddenly remembered something from Cambodia, from the Khmer Rouge, where the way that they governed Cambodia was that uh, the existence of the Communist Party was not publicly acknowledged. Uh, there, there was a, there was like a ruling organization that was acknowledged, but the, the existence of the Communist Party itself was secret because there was the, the, this like instinctive secrecy and this like hierarchical series of like mysteries to penetrate. And I, I, I don't know why that, that reminds me of that so closely, but that just just came <laughs> into my brain. See, uh,
0: Alice, I slightly, I slightly disagree with you here.
1: I think it's hmm. mu- it's, less,
0: it's less shadowy and I think it's more personal. I I think that, and I think this is something I've talked about. You with think Sean, it's some cult shit? I don't think it's cult shit. I think it's purely that um, the the group of the the Revolutionary Communist Party, uh, Living Marxism spiked the the sort of the whole like extended Ferretti verse, you know, um, <laughs> if you want to call it that, uh, the Brendan O'Neill verse. All these. I I do people. want to call it that. Yeah. We will be calling it that a lot, <laughs> um, but I think really they just have this shared. Um, understanding of politics and power as affect only as something where they are very sensitive and they're very, they feel very superior, but that feeling of superiority is quite brittle. And all of, and I think that the way that, um, especially since the 1980s, we have been able to have some progressive social politics, uh, some limited, mind you, combined with like a regressive economics and stuff where we created the, um, "Quote unquote metropolitan elite," that's you know, a, a, largely an imaginary character, but still, they were able to say, um, "I resent that, like the fact that you know uh, a lot of the sort of gay rights movement or whatever, because they came out against gay marriage before it happened, even though they're all for freedom or whatever." Uh, Spike did in 2012, I think. Uh, right? They they were able to say, "Well, I hate the people who are for it uh, because they think they're better than me." so I'm going to find a way to come out
1: against it. And mm. I think the revolution of the they had yeah. humiliated them, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the the libs, right? Had had destroyed living Marxism as an mm. organ merely for doing a bit of tasty genocide. But, they were but they, but they were, but like, right. they that.
0: But they they were full of these this kind of resentment, and they've always couched it in a positive way. They always said, "Oh well, we think humanity is underrated. We think that techno- the technological domination of man over nature, the ultimate freedom of man, and so on, is what is what society is all about." And so, any curb on anyone doing anything that requires some kind of intentional political action they see as illegitimate reflexively, because I think it makes them feel inferior. And if you want to, like, and and this is sort of a a tick in the either not an op or not intentionally an op column, I mean, it's the fact that... like. A lot of the people who joined this thing, probably in the 1970s and 80s, also, like, you see how they act with other leftists, how they would be sort of quite cool but very quick to anger, all this stuff. Uh, It could just purely be the politics of aesthetics uh, driven by resentment and resentment in every direction of everyone.
1: I'm going to argue back here and I'm going to say that I'm getting, as as you get more and more uh, sort of parapsychological and more personal and, and more into like reasonable explanations why this might not be an op, I am just altering my brain chemistry. I've got a big chalkboard. I'm, I'm like, pinning things to other things. I have a big red string going from Thatcher sending the SAS to train the Khmer Rouge through to the <laughs> fucking... Like, you, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man, but, like... Hmm. I mean, to me, I,
5: it, I, I, it just seems like they're doing class as identity, right? They've completely hmm. transposed all of these material struggles into the cultural sphere in which class is not a social relation but an identity that seems extremely malleable based on what point they're trying to make and everyone they dislike must be, you know, a bougie asshole
2: even if they
5: are actually poorer than them or do not own the means of production or whatever.
0: Jamie, you're right. You're totally right. But they only started that in the '90s, which is weird. Yeah. Mm. yeah see, and, I'm it,
5: jumping ahead a little yeah. bit because I mostly looked at the spiked website and I watched <laughs> the interview that Dave Rubin did with <laughs> Brandon O'Neill. But uh, we could so, we could save that for later. Oh well. Yeah.
4: yeah here, we're gonna get into the the interview about Marxist libertarianism, here, not libertarian Marxism, but <laughs> Marxist so, libertarian. Here, here's what I'll do. I'm mean,
0: gonna say just a. A couple of quotes from Ferretti about like the philosophical underpinnings of this, and yeah, then I think we jump ahead, as you say. All right. So Ferretti says in an interview in Spiked that the stance of both LM and Spike stri- springs from a stance that he sees as anti-Stalinist, anti-state, and progressive in terms of human progress, rationality, and freedom. And he says it infuriates many social Democrats and sort of statist leftists who, thi- who see these things possible only through the state. He says, much of the left in the 20th century tended to be influenced by Stalinist and Sockdem ten- tra- traditions, which means they could not imagine that you could be left-wing and anti-state. So they were confused by us, but it was their fault, not ours. It was a product of their own abandonment of liberty in favor of ideas about state control. But the problem is, the only answer Spikes could ever come up with was to oppose the mutualization, nationalization, trade union movement, or anything, because it was like, well, that's wrong. Well, that's wrong. Well, that's wrong. Well, that's wrong. And what they end up doing is just endlessly, endlessly, endlessly supporting whatever seems, quote-unquote, natural in the economy because it's what happens when you don't interfere using the state. And so that's what ends up with them uh, having, uh, as spiked, Having received over three hundred thousand dollars in Koch brother <laughs> donations, <laughs> Koch brother money. Yeah. right? I mean,
1: this is this is this is. I, I feel like you're still not being paranoid enough that this <laughs> this this anti-state thing, uh, like it doesn't come from like it's even Ferretti doesn't identify it with any kind of pre-existing uh, left tendency or like anarchist tendency or anything of that nature. He, he, it doesn't come from anywhere. It doesn't owe anything to anyone. And it arrives de novo at the same time that uh, th- th- sort of more conservative political forces have decided that the state is this machine that needs to be like shrunk down dramatically mm. and prevented from doing anything.
4: Well, and this is, sorry, th- this is also, when we talk about an op, right? Mm. I think it's fair to say that an op can be both a say, CIA, MI5, MI6 front group, you know, that's uh, Mm -hmm. secretly funded or run by a government intelligence agency of some sort or another. Or an op could be a front group for Koch brothers money that takes private funding from individuals, gets a platform for that reason and pushes ideas that are quote unquote left about liberty and freedom, when in fact, you know, they're operating under the auspices and not quite the direction but at least the patronage of the capitalist class so whether it's public with an intelligence agency or it's private there's still something very nefarious happening yeah. at the heart of it Not the even most on, the ops yeah. damn that's exactly, exactly it that would be exactly. the most
1: <laughs> that would be the most on-brand thing would be to outsource your 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 ops but i think it's
3: I don't. I wish you wouldn't dwell on this too much because, like, if you look at the most extreme example of like a record group, the Larouchites, hmm. you know, they yeah, they were working with. I forgot if they worked with the government directly, but they were working with like the KKK. I think they had some connection with the government, and they were you know they would just like go into uh, the U.S. SWP meetings and like other left groups in the U.S. and just fight people, uh, just because they they were that much of an insane parapsychology cult by the 70s but they were originally Trotskyists and they didn't need anyone's funding to do that that's just what they believed in
5: so yeah, I, I yeah. think it's
3: totally irrelevant if they're yeah. an op or not
5: they might not I, be I an op ag- but I agree. do an op work mm-hmm.
3: That's there true, but I agree I, mean to an saying. extent. <laughs> but the,
1: the the Larouchites also had their own organic weirdness that Spikes never did. Like beyond its own uh, like reflexive contrarianism, they would never come up with anything as inventive as every orchestra in the world is tuning to the wrong pitch, <laughs> and
4: that's <laughs> making everyone the, crazy. The, the, oh, yeah, the, the very, very pitch better. tendency. Yeah,
3: the Larouchites' <laughs> politics are clearly <laughs> much more enlightened.
4: Yeah. it's a synthesis that's of. Right, uh, yeah. Of Queen of England is a reptile, and Rosa Luxemburg was right about crisis theory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing that interesting in anything <laughs> uh, that the, the, the LM or the
1: RCP or Spike has ever produced. Yeah. No, that's
4: Riley, Marxism, um, baby, <laughs> <laughs> Riley, uh, I want to, I want a dish on Brandon O'Neill because I have a a take on him and his uh, Marxist libertarianism. But do you want to bring us from the 1980s up till today? So throughout
0: the 1980s, we had this party, this, yeah, the Frank Ferretti extended universe that got its own sort of, (laughs) again, larger cast of characters. People like Claire Fox, who now is a Brexit party MEP, I believe. Brendan O'Neill, who we parody all the time on Trash Future. Um, (laughs) Mick Hume... Uh, is people who keep popping up in British politics. People also whose families and siblings and friends keep popping up in British politics and media and organizations. And yet, weirdly, they always pretend not to know each other whenever they're in panels or in meetings or whatever. Ah, weird. Hmm. Yeah, weird. Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what we get then is uh, uh, is is... We have this this movement into the 1990s of this trot group now staying pretty much solid. There are no more splits. And its ideology is
1: pretty well formed. Which also, well, question mark,
5: question mark, yeah, question mark. I was going to say, mark. that's the most suspicious thing I've heard about them
1: yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because that's the thing.
0: Once they become this, like, sort of gang of stylish jackasses who keep, like, seemingly undermining the left at every turn, no more splits after that weird. Hmm. Anyway, no more yep. questions about that. Uh, so <laughs> what we end up with in the 1990s is, is uh, they've sort of they're not really much of a party anymore they're more of a publishing organization and they publish Living Marxism which then gets shortened to LM after the Berlin Wall Falls and then in 1997 they published that sentence uh, uh, about the ITN coverage of, um, of the uh, intervention in uh, the Balkans because the one thing they are is like like Alice said earlier just reflexively anti-liberal even when the liberals are sort of right by accident occasionally mm. uh, as much yeah. as I hate H- to Hillary
1: admit it. Clinton yeah Hillary Clinton is at this point getting uh, receiving sniper fire on the on the time I
0: <laughs>
3: <you know? laughs> yeah. so and, and
0: and one of the things also to note is that one of the Frank Ferretti's main academic concern at this point becomes risk and uh, the risk society and how we are always trying to avoid risk. But he sees this, as you mentioned earlier, Sean, about uh, child rearing and stuff and so he becomes like a big campaigner for like kids to be put in more dangerous situations <laughs> <laughs> he's against like vetting teachers
4: he's question against question mark like... question mark question mark Elm guest house question mark don't ever let Ferretti design a playground okay it's gonna have <laughs> snake pits in it it's gonna have saw blades that inexplicably <laughs> just fly all over the place well, you I joke but he was j- a major he was a major like campaigner
0: against what he saw as an overly nanny state of health and safety for children and somehow he got from marxism to there uh, but so th- anyway mm, we have this, that's this the most
5: re- libertarian development yet <laughs>
0: so we have this yeah we have this reflexive anti-liberalism that tar- that culminates in them getting shut down by a libel suit from itn and then they immediately uh as we said it earlier LM folds, and then everyone involved in it, from Ferretti to Mick Hume. Mick Hume was the editor at the time and stayed the editor of Spiked until 2007 when it was taken over by Brendan O'Neill. Um, we, it, it stays largely the same, just it's now has finally shed its uh, sort of political party and now is just a media organization with an agenda to, like, counterbalance the woke left at every turn. But... And then sort of picking anything that anyone on the left or sort of just like lives in a city uh, likes, they will find a reason to hate it. And I think it has driven them all mad. So I'll hand back Mm. over to Sean.
5: Mm, Nobody got my pedo joke earlier. That's okay.
4: (laughs) There'll be more opportunity for that. Don't worry. We should
5: check the flight Uh, box though. Seriously. <laughs> mm. Ferretti's yeah, he's, on the flight, flight, flight logs.
1: These yeah. people are not. Then no. Then but they're both not on the flight logs of Epstein, and also the flight logs that they are on are all going to be like fucking like shell companies within shell companies,
4: right? Well, the uh, another big question that looms large in this right is uh, to what extent can they still claim to be Marxists? Because until, I, I think today, until recently, but certainly all the way through the last decade and a half, Brendan O'Neill has claimed to still be a Marxist, right? He had this Dave Rubin Report interview oh, where boy. he extolled Marxist libertarianism. Jamie, you watched oh, that, Oh right?
5: Yeah, I did. Cringe. Oh, It was so cringe. I mean, he's basing the entire Marxist part of his identity on Marx's to be sure paragraph. Right. <laughs> right? Where he's like, Yeah, in the Communist Manifesto. Granted, capitalism has given us some good things, and he stops there. He's like, That's right. That's what Marx <laughs> said. That's me. What Classical liberal Marx. <laughs>
0: Alice, we we were talking about this a while ago in relation to someone else, but yeah, it really is like someone who just yeah. wrote, who who saw the sentence, there is a tendency in the rate of profit, and it was just like, well, they said profit seems like a good thing, no need to finish that yeah. sentence. There, there, was like <laughs> an, there was an
1: inopportune line break or page break, and they just stopped reading there.
4: <laughs> there is a tendency of so... the rate of profit, that's right. Anyway, time for <laughs> politics. <laughs> so Riley touched on this before when you were talking about positive versus negative critique, Right. So how can Brendan O'Neill and Spiked still claim to be Marxists? They do this by essentially excising the entire negative side of Marx's critique of political economy, right? So Brendan O'Neill is able to cite Passages in the manifesto that extol The historical role of the bourgeoisie In battering down Chinese Walls in melting solid things Into air uh, and into increasing The scope of human freedom you know, Within the bound of commodity society <clears throat> You know O'Neill could even cite The Grundrisse which he does in that uh, Interview he actually mispronounces The Grundrisse but uh, uh, he, he, he can cite where Marx says Oh shit this we just did middle class condescension Damn <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brendan O'Neill is prolier than us, um, but yeah, like this, 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 uh, this part of the Grundrisse where Marx talks about this progressive tendency of capitalism to create wants and needs and desires, right? Uh, O'Neill can cite that. Um, it's it's this sort of Enlightenment Marx, this this kind of like based classical liberal arts, Marx, and also this historian Marx who saw like this unique and powerful social system of capitalism as it was rising and saw the progressive aspect of it, but that's it. Right. So like Brendan O'Neill's,
5: he's also like a weirdly uh, classical neoliberal, right? Because he talks in that interview with our friend Dave Rubin about how, Oh, the anti-capitalist left hates free trade. Uh, but Marx liked free trade. He saw it as uh, (laughs) like, it was a good development. Like, Again, he didn't read to the part where it was just a way to get the global proletariat aligned against the global bourgeoisie. Like they read less yeah. of the Communist Manifesto than Jordan Peterson did. <laughs> right.
0: what, what,
4: so, this like is, this, so, this, so, I would say just so quickly,
0: just yeah, quickly if I may, this goes back to what talking about yeah. how the, like everyone at Spiked like just overdosed on positivism, where they just look at whatever's there, whatever's whatever's around them. And they just assume that that's natural, and then whatever their assumption of natural is resets every second that they then observe the world around them. And so all of the forces that are at play are natural, and anyone working against those forces is being unnatural. And so this is what I mean when I say positivist, but I carry on. Yeah. And
5: it's weird to me, too, because, like, I know Angela Nagel comes out of that milieu, right? Not to open a whole other can of worms. And she's very Mm. much uh, an economic nationalist who is against free trade. So I think maybe their, their ideology is less coherent than hers. That's all I'm going for
4: that's fair I mean what they you know by taking out the negative critique which is what they do it's still like some sort of vulgar debased form of Marxism I suppose in in its own way right they conveniently leave out these bits where like these real advances of freedom which actually exist under capitalism are by their very nature incomplete Mm -hmm. and rest on this foundation of exploitation and domination so they're happy to cite like cringy early Marx where he makes statements about the progressivism of uh, Indian colonization and the destruction of backward cultures, but never the mature Marx who called for immigrants' rights on the Irish question and discovered, like, the communist potential in the, in the Russian mirror. You know, so it's this sort of Whiggish ideology that, that collapses into this politics of envy that's basically indistinguishable from an affectation of projected working class grievance towards familiar enemies such as immigrants, the European Union, and of course, trans people. Mm. So there's a real, um, I'd say like a Prometheanism, right? Which is this, 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 um, it's where human concerns and human agencies are at the center of this project for self-directed emancipation, right? But it's been turned away from the Prometheanism of the proletariat rising up in a revolution and towards the defense of, say, the fossil fuel industry, vapors rights, and child <laughs> <laughs> pornography. They really <laughs> so, love vaping too. Oh they love God. it they so much. They have a whole vaping this vertical. And the last, <laughs> and the last thing be, I'll say on this:
5: this might be the thing that gets me to quit vaping. I'm serious. <laughs>
4: The last thing I'll say on this, it is only to the extent that they are dogmatic and shitty readers of Marx that they can plausibly said to have anything in common with contemporary Marxism. Well, it's,
5: <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's weird, right? Because the, so. he's talking about his critique of right wing libertarians, right? Where he says, you know, opposing the state, he, he goes over like Marx's classical liberal values, like freedom of the press, freedom of expression, whatever, whatever. He says opposing the state is not only enough, you know, the state's not the only thing that can do tyranny. And from there, you think he's going to go uh, in a materialist lane, like, yes, and that's why we also need to limit the private tyranny of your boss or whatever. But no, right. he's talking the about... private
1: tyranny of big trans. He's talking
5: about social, <laughs> social media mobs. Uh, it seems like the other side of the coin to this kind of neoliberal identity politics which we all know is bad because it brings struggles totally into the cultural realm and does not involve things like class struggle, right? It's the other side of the coin. It's, uh, It's engaging in that struggle on purely cultural terrain, only it's like, It's the negation of, what am I saying? You know what I mean? No, I get totally what you mean. All they do is talk
1: about identity politics. And yet, the only way they talk about it is there's too much identity politics. This identity politics is bad because the only good identity politics is when you wear a flat cap and hit a girder with a hammer.
4: Vulgar workerism is the only acceptable woke politics.
5: Like, like his critique of neoliberal identity politics is the opposite one from the one that we have, which is that it needs class politics, too.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know what I remember? I mean, there is... I I, I hate to be that guy, but It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia kind of made this point very well, which is where Dennis and Frank are just deciding to defraud the bar. And so just distract (laughs) Mac and Charlie by making them argue over limes. (laughs) <laughs> like, that's what, that's what Spiked is doing. That's what the Koch yeah. brothers are paying for. They're paying yeah. for... And because you know why? Spiked always says, we're not against trans rights or whatever. We just don't want mm. to shut down the debate. But really mm. what they want to do is they want to keep the debate going yeah. for fucking ever.
2: Yeah. Ever. Yes. And
0: ever. So it's never settled. Ever. Yeah. And so, like, not only... Are sort of material like material issues for everyone not addressed. It also puts people who are like not cisgender in direct danger. What's
1: up? What's up? Love to love to be a contentious issue. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's really really funny though because you're you're so right. And if you go back in time to when like before. Uh, identity politics either way had caught up to it you'd get headlines from the 50s that was like local gi stacked now and it's just like <laughs> yeah cool you just christine jorgensen is just like oh yeah he, he used to be uh, used to be in the army and now he's mm. got tits yeah. amazing like most, isn't science magical
5: most normal people don't really care about this stuff no. like i no, remember my goodness, no. the uh, I think it was was it turning points was it Liver U like one of those motherfuckers Oh yeah, girl. She was like trying to interview Caitlin Bennett. Yeah, she was trying to interview people on campus. Like, um, they're trying to put tampons in men's bathrooms. (laughs) What do you think about that? It's just this bro, and he's like. Uh, I don't know, if a dude needs a tampon, like, that's cool. Yeah, I
2: don't care.
1: <laughs> Look, mo- the thing is, mo- most most trans people also do not care very much. It's just, it's not that interesting a thing to be. But Brendan O'Neill will
4: hammer out a column any day of the week and, about and it. And if you can make... When you have a ping pong paddle, everything's a ping pong. You know, <laughs> and
5: if you can make normal people... Uh, Angry about that like they're Trying to do it's going to distract Them from struggling Mm -hmm. for their material Needs
0: and hey guess what When people were interviewed About uh, why they like Switched from voting labor to voting Conservative in the 2019 general election A lot of them cited the fact That like labor was too Woke and too like too many Genders in the manifesto and that's That's Like like, they don't care about There's no natural tendency Of the working class to care about trans people. I mean, I always, the things I always cite is like Dennis Skinner, one of like the most badass of the old guard, like labor MPs, who was called the beast of Bolsover, um, was hmm. like, that. Yeah, this guy who was, came from up through the union, was elected by the union, was one of the most viciously left, like, just ferociously left-wing MPs in Parliament, would always get forcibly removed for the Queen's speech because he couldn't stop heckling her. <laughs> <laughs> Hell <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> Base. And, and he was like, a lexateer, all this stuff, and then, but in the 1980s, when it was still illegal to say being gay was a thing in British schools, he and the Miners Union in Bolsover were coming out as one of the most pro-LGBT organizations in, in the country.
4: Right. Like while LGBT groups were like breaking the stereotype, literally working class like gay and lesbian organizations were doing solidarity on the picket lines yeah. with the British miners because mm-hmm. they saw this as a working class struggle. You know, and they saw themselves having to be part of that and created kind of a mutual solidarity yeah. between minors and working class activists fighting for gay and rights. What uh- does
0: Spike do? Spike says that um, that it's a basically a bourgeois affectation to mm-hmm. want ex- an extension of gay rights. That's literally what they said when their gay marriage debate was happening before uh, uh, 2012.
4: And so you're like, huh, these people fucking suck. <laughs> See, <laughs> parenthetically, the other RCP, Bob Avakians, was also uh, calling gay rights a uh, bourgeois affectation. I mean, affectation most of the, the old
3: lefts had yeah. that position. Yeah, yeah that's it's, like it's coming from a different...
4: Thing. Yeah, it's yeah. coming from, like stalin
1: right stamping a big letter from like very heartfelt scottish gay communist who was like why do you have to like persecute gay people in the soviet union when, when you know we're workers and it, and the stalin in in that way that he does just wrote deviant file this and then
4: <laughs> just just sends it back wow. you do not to, you don't want to be on the wrong side of stalin's marginal notes i'll tell but you no the thing no that's is, true like,
1: <laughs> the thing
0: is they they their their whole thing and their whole thing forever is that it's all about debate and you can never silence debate because if you
1: silence debate you silence progress but yeah doing, and that's the difference that's yeah. the difference you, you don't get anything as declarative as deviant file this letter you get endless 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 debate columns hmm. after columns, after columns.
4: Which leads to, I think, a very important question, and this, you know, I'm not sure which side of the op column we checked this in, but very similar to Turning Points USA, run by Charlie Kirk, you have to wonder who the audience really is for Spiked Online, how they maintain enough of an audience to be relevant, because we all know that TPUSA bills itself as a millennial, you know, right wing group that's spreading ideas, very much talking about wokeness and identity politics, critiquing liberals and shit. They bill themselves as having this mass base in the colleges and universities across this country, when in fact, if you look at who actually consumes TPUSA, it's fucking boomers, conservatives who already agree with the Principles at work and spiked online. Like, where are where are the the social forces out there that are logging on to spiked online every single day to see the the, the wonderful correct takes that they're having on any particular issue? I don't it's see like.
1: It. Yeah, it's like four think tank guys, and the rest of it is like farms of like iPhones somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, like, it's, it's let, that... let, let me see the viewing figures, Brandon.
0: Well, it's it's that, but also the other thing, right, is that the like British. The, the British media is, it all works with credentialism. Uh, much like, uh, so what Spike does is it generates these people. It'll, it'll commission them and commission them and commission them and then give them some post. And then all of us, because there has to be debates on every political topic, like for five different debate formats. Yeah, and they'll cable say shows. yes
1: to everything, yeah. is the other thing. So they, they, they will be a reliable call for a producer who wants. Uh, a, a, an extra slot filled on news night or question time, and they have the little byline ready to go with spiked online. So, if
0: you're saying um, if you're saying that global warming is a problem, you can call any university uh, uh, sort of climate science department and get someone on. But where are you going to find a climate science denier?
4: Spiked. Mm. spiked. Mm. And where are they getting their money from? Thick the hopes. same <laughs> private individuals who fund all climate science denial across the entire so, world. Mm. I, I skimmed a
3: few issues of. Uh, the archive if you issues of living Marxism and the best charitable case I could make of what they're trying to do, uh, is so I, I read a, um, the editorial from a 1990 issue where Mick Hume is talking about poll tax riots. I don't know a lot about the backstory of this, but he's basically, he's critiquing the labor party and the SWP for tr- uh, sending marshals to stop kids from rioting. And he's saying like, look, if, proletarian youth are mad and they want to riot you know maybe they're doing so in a reactionary way or as antisocial, but you have to let them do that because like you know they're express they're trying to express their rage against the system and ultimately we want to take down the system so i read that and i was like okay i kind of agree with this and then i read more and more as lm progresses more towards being like purely cultural like they really they, you know, year by year, they get rid of more of the their political stances on international issues and, and what have you. Um, and that's when Brendan O'Neill starts writing, as far as I can tell. And his articles are almost purely cultural and really not too different from what he writes uh, in Spike today. Stuff about, um, like, there's an article about how the royal family isn't acting royal enough. They're acting too... Uh, <laughs> Too common, and it's 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 a disgrace. That uh, is a Marxist concern.
4: Yes, go on. Um, wow. uh,
3: there's an article called "Our Leading Lads: The New Sads." Uh, well, well are they? they? Uh, uh, <laughs> Andy, Andy, are they? Well, uh, <laughs> don't bury <carry> the lead. <laughs> uh, apparently, lads are being told to express their feelings, and um, that's implying that there's something wrong with hardened masculinity. Mm. Uh, so, so that's devaluing somebody's. uh uh, innate ability to be positively masculine in some way (laughs) um and then there's a one article i'll read a paragraph from it is called uh here it is um brendan o'neill prisons of the mind brendan o'neill would rather be (laughs) banged up He (laughs) 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 he would rather be banged up than screwed by jail therapy and this is an article from uh let's see uh
4: Two thousands, I think like an insurrectionary anarchist. He's calling his teacher a mind jailer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like an insurrectionary
4: anarchist or a
3: 14 year old. Yeah.
2: Kill, the, no
5: kill the SJW in your head.
3: <laughs> no, he, He's talking about literal jails and he's saying that there's this tendency to try to give prisoners therapy and to uh, rehabilitate them in some way. Um, And he's totally disgusted by this. Again, I don't know what was going on in British prisons at the time. But the last paragraph, he says, Prison reformers once argued that denying an offender his liberty was punishment enough. Beyond that, prison should be comfortable and constructive. Today it's not enough to deny an offender his liberty. We also have to strip him of his independence and self-confidence and ensure that whatever he was like when he entered prison— he will leave as a feeble-minded loser who can't <coughs> be expected to take responsibility for his actions. Hard Lose labor it. would be better. Hard labor would be better. Hard labor would be better. So I think what they're trying to do is—I don't—I don't think they're Foucauldian at all. But there is this kind of uh, biopolitical critique of like technocratic neoliberalism. And I think maybe if you combine that with some sort of secret idea they have in crisis theory that like (laughs) uh, eventually the, you know, the EU and like uh, (laughs) neoliberalism will centralize to extent that it falls apart and they can enter power because they hate the Labor Party. They've always hated the Labor Party. That's like a consistent position they've had for the wrong reason. If they can enter um, power through a reaction to the Labor Party, then they can have positions of media and political influence as uh, the neoliberal order breaks apart, which they have, but now what are they doing with it? They're just mm-hmm. doing the same stuff. Yeah. But it's still yeah, like me-
5: intensely individualistic and atomizing, right? Like he's all about personal responsibility. Um, he says in the Dave Rubin interview that he dislikes um, any government efforts to like track people's happiness or well being, which I don't think is actually happening very much. I mean, we have the stats on deaths of despair. But, like, he thinks that by doing that, any, like, efforts at public mental health, you're um, shifting the responsibility for one's own happiness off of the individual and onto society, and that's bad.
4: Oh, you should see their corona takes, yeah. Um, (laughs) Jesus. Oh, (laughs) we could actually... Uh, Let me... Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Sean. I... I have a thesis, but I'll let Jamie finish I
5: I read some corona takes, and it's, like, just... Maybe they do it more skillfully in other articles. I haven't read any every article on the site, but like it really is naked in its efforts to drag these very clearly material things into the realm of the culture wars, like just a few things that they reference and say that they're like illegitimate cultural bullshit. They reference an article about how racist white Trump voters are responsible for, you know, the terrible job that Trump's doing with the coronavirus, which is, you know, partially true. Um, References an article about uh, transgender people's difficulties in accessing uh, gender-affirming health care, transition-related care at this point in time, and says, yeah, that's culture war bullshit. Um, An article about how COVID has led to an uptick in uh, white nationalism, which cites actual incidents of hate crimes against Mm. Asian-Americans. They're like, yeah, that's a bunch of nonsense. Um, And AOC, they say AOC, you know, she claims that deaths are disproportionately higher in minority communities, which is absolutely fucking true. Like, it's taking all of these uh, interlocking struggles against oppression, which do include identity politics, In a good way in that they're connected to capitalism and just tries to completely delegitimize them and make them seem like uh, liberal bullshit, you know,
4: which really puts their uh, their anti climate science agenda into perspective, right? Because if you have this 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 only progressive this this progressive um view of capitalism right only its positive parts you can't have climate change and still hold that position without dooming humanity so they have to be climate deniers mm-hmm. right they have to be in order mm-hmm. to hold these positions so in that case right the politics are their politics are contrarian irrespective of what the science what the yeah. materials objective conditions say
0: and and this is this is it the,
4: this is the, this is the kind of this is the other thesis here,
0: which is you can't understand that kind and level of contrarianism without understanding the fact that they're built specifically for the British media environment, which is mm. which where has the BBC, which is statutorily obligated to always show both sides of an issue, and so mm. the spiked basically exists as one of the ten people who will be on the wrong side of anything.
4: <laughs> and I want to broaden it out a little bit because somebody, I think it was Andy, used the, used the name Foucault. And we're talking about this sense of a cultural turn, right? If we zoom way out from this, going from the 1970s, you know, with the rise of this really powerful workers movement into its defeats in Britain in the 1980s, you know, with the miners' strike and with Thatcherism, and then continuing into the neoliberal 90s and the crisis-ridden 2000s, and then up until today, you have massive shifts in global uh, capitalist production and just the political economy of the world, and because this workers' movement gets destroyed, large parts of the left do take an identitarian and cultural turn into liber- liberal identity politics. You know this the 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 correct side of critiquing this sort of like empty white feminist wokeism, right? Like that arises because of defeats and failures of the workers' movement. So I would argue that Spiked, by taking this cultural turn, does exactly what the libs they hate had done at the same time, which is go from material concerns yeah. into identity ones, because there was no longer a class movement that they could latch themselves yeah. onto, because the working class had been destroyed. They're doing the same fucking thing that everybody else did with the cultural turn to postmodernism and all that shit through the eighties, nineties, and up until today. Yeah, and, and it's, it's just exactly and the, the only right question it is. that's exactly left right. for us then.
5: It doesn't is, matter it how is, intentional is to what extent, it is, right? yeah. like they, it, the, but that is still an open is, question. It's enshrining this uh, defeat of class politics. Like We're always talking about it on the show. I mean, not always, but we've said before, the bad thing about these like Tumblr, Tumblr liberals isn't that they care too much about trans rights. That's a good thing. Trans people do deserve rights. It's that they are liberals with no class politics.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it, we want to have uh, my favourite example of this is I, I keep a little treasury in my head of these headlines my favourite is coming out as transgender made me a more effective CIA officer um, I was like yeah cool maybe it would great yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Sh- I'm sure it would. Fantastic. I, I just, I want to. There's one thing here that in the notes that I want to go back to because we've, we've kind of agreed, and I am in agreement with you all on this that it doesn't matter whether or not LM spiked uh, the RCP were or are an op. Right? It doesn't matter. They're doing this kind of identity politics in a way that it functionally has the same effect whether they're sincere or not. But. There is one thing that somebody has found from... It, it's actually a wartime thing. It's from the Office of Strategic Services. Uh, they, they leafleted these over occupied Europe for like, ways to do resistance covertly. And it was like, if you were in an organization, it has a list of little tips to give you to how to like, degrade that organization's productivity. And it's in bullet points. And the, the first one is, make speeches talk as frequently <laughs> as possible and at great length. Illustrate your points by long anecdotes and accounts of personal experiences. Mm, Second, (laughs) when when possible, refer all matters to committees for further study and consideration. (laughs) Attempt to make the committee as large as possible, never less than five. Mm. Third, bring up irrelevant issues as frequently as possible. Four, haggle over precise wordings of communications, minutes, and resolutions. And lastly, refer back to matters decided upon at the last meeting and attempt to reopen the question Mm. of the advisability of that decision.
4: Oh my god, the entire left of the last 70 years has been an op. (laughs) They got us for wow, all those guardian I, need,
5: comments. Shit, I think
4: that might actually be
1: true I th- I still think about the um it was from the McLibel trial which was like another one of these weird sort of peripheral struggles but one thing I, I remember deeply from this was that there was a Greenpeace meeting uh that was held in which undercover police officers it was later revealed outnumbered the actual attendees. <laughs> and I, I keep thinking about that, and I keep thinking about the man who was Thursday, and I keep thinking about all of these people who have nothing to do but debate and debate and debate and debate and, debate and never say anything materialist, and it's making me insane and paranoid, and I'm I'm full Christman brain at this point. Yeah. And, and, uh, and,
4: then, and then you take that and you put it alongside these accounts we have of these Battle of Ideas festivals put on secretly by the Spiked people where mm-hmm. their conferences... It sounds like the audience is majority like secret spiked people. Right? Yeah. The same same concept. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's,
0: it's all, it tends to be, and this is from the Jenny Turner article, which we really should link in the description of this episode because it's really good. Will do. Which is like everyone's a volunteer or an organizer <laughs> or a speaker. There are very few attendees. It just seems like just a lot of noise being made for the purposes of making noise. Um, and in fact, if I, may, if, I, if I may do one more little bit of sum up. Uh, i'm reminded of one of my favorite science fiction novels is a book called Blind Sight by a guy called Peter ah. Watts uh and in it is an alien species where because they're not fully sentient they don't they don't have sentience the way that we do they're like just the very um The very concept of just casual conversation to them is just drains their resources. And so they see the statement we come in peace as an attack because it's not useful information for them. Um, And so it's almost the same thing where I feel like Spike just exists to make a bunch of noise that drains the energy of the rest of the world of the ability to like just keep going on because we have to keep relitigating mm-hmm. all this shit and we can never decide anything. We can never move on with anything. And while we're doing that, the Cokes have fracked the country.
3: Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, but this so this is i'll I'll try to like uh sum up my my trotskyism argument here leninism is based on this concept of democratic centralism so you shouldn't have these like large committees endlessly word splicing and debating it should be efficient that's the concept of having this this leadership nucleus and it's pretty clear that lm has that around ferretti they have a a leadership group that anymore if i'm honest uh i think think well if anyone Th- th- they so they they had it, um, but that's that's irrelevant to the way uh, Trotskyists interact with other groups when they're doing entryism. So a- entryism was initially suggested by Trotsky before World War II in order to enter anti fascist fronts and push them towards anti capitalism. So they weren't merely defending liberalism. Again, this is something the RCP takes up in the 80s, um, but then it continues after the war. Uh, in the Pabloist International, which is where P- Posadas got his start, where they would join, um, the like, the Labour Party or the Communist Party or, like, any major social democratic socialist group, and they would enter it, and they would try to push people towards their line, and the line would, you know, be anti-capitalist, but always, all these individual Trotskyist groups had their all- these weird idiosyncratic lines because they believed themselves to be part of the leadership group of the new international that was supposed to lead world revolution so they all had these intense delusions of grandeur and everything that they believed had to be correct because they were supposed to be the leaders so there was this kind of cultishness cultishness going on necessarily because they all thought that they were lenin and you know <laughs> lenin outmaneuvered all of the other people around him that was wrong, and that's how he was able to do the revolution. Um, so that justifies them going into groups, breaking them up, trying to find the best people in those groups, and bringing them to their side. This is what the RCP was doing in the 80s. But you can also do that stuff not for communism, but you could you could, for example, uh, enter like the Nixon administration as like ex-Trotskyists converted to, to neoconservatism and steer American conservatism. ...towards neoconservatism, and that's what extrotskyists did... Mm. ...using the same methods of centralized, disciplined influence peddling. Mm. Um, So I just don't think that what they're doing... is conspiratorial because um, Leninism is a conspiratorial movement. Uh, (laughs) The the, the concept of Bolshevism was a conspiracy to take down the Tsar... ...and then to take down the provisional government, and they won. So of course there's that conspiratorial aspect. But But it's supposed to be internally consistent and i it might be
4: i don't know that's, I haven't seen a good article about like how it works
3: internally. That would be really interesting.
4: Mm. I Andy's, feel like we Andy's, Andy's next book is going to be an inside look at the uh, at Spiked Online's yeah. uh, I, Leadership Cadre. It, tur- it, tur- it, happen, it turns out sure.
0: that the Fifth International was actually uh, the Koch Brothers International. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, I feel like we've
1: just switched Umberto Eco novels. We've gone from Name of the Rose to Foucault's Pendulum. And we've just gone to like <laughs> er- nests of conspiracy within conspiracy. Yep. We, we go through the whole thing. About nice. Trotskyists, and we didn't do a single Isaacs joke. <laughs> oh.
4: There's still time because we should uh, do a little conclusion. a question
5: after he got the ice pick in the brain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: it's, Tr- it, it, it's, Trots- it's Trotskyism as con- as conceived of by someone with a shutting down cerebellum.
1: In that respect that they are the purest Trotskyist because they kept his last vision.